T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one. Zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to board, please. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to board. Do I have some permission to board that sweet mothership? This is the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. Welcome inside the PGP, the show about the show, the show within the show. As always, you can listen to the Permission Granted Podcast by going to the normal DA Show podcast feed. All platforms that you get your podcast, just search the DA Show, and you'll get the normal DA Show everyday feed, best of the show, full episode, but also the PGP Weekly, or just search Permission Granted, and you can get just the PGP if you want it on its separate podcast feed. So Mraz joins me now for side A, and today was a doozy in terms of technical difficulties, some of which we had seen coming because they've happened before, some of which we could not. Number one, Bogus has had a unfortunate habit of tossing to audio that does not play. Right. His computer that he's using at home is supposed to play this audio, and he'll hit play, and it just simply... He'll play play 15 times, and then the 16th time it won't play, and that's going to be the one time he needs it to play on the air. So that's happened before, and that happened again today. And starting there, I think this is really starting to break Bogues because he loves the up. He loves making his updates as good as possible. He puts a lot of attention on them. And when the audio doesn't fire, it's such a letdown for him. It is, and it, it really just speaks to, I think, the differences in personalities for us all because – like, you are obviously the, the king and have always been of, like, every detail has to be perfect. And before we even worked with a Bogus or Pete, we knew that about Bogus. So coming in Bogus is very much like that. Me, it's like I root for chaos. So when this happens to Bogus, it's almost evil of me that I could see how it's breaking him. You like laugh you said, every time. Every time. And I feel bad. You laugh. Right, because we're we're in this Google Meet, so it's almost like we're in studio where now this has become a thing over the last couple weeks where we can physically see each other, which is great. But watching Bogus's expression and seeing the slamming of his hand on the table, I am living for it. I, it's almost as if every update I don't want the audio to play because it's breaking Bogus, and it genuinely gives me joy. And I don't know if that's evil or just I love the chaos of it, but he and seeing his long hair because it hasn't been cut and it's getting all curly over his forehead, he just looks so out of place and so like the the caption is just I've had it when you look at Bogus, yeah, and then he goes through that moment, which is really funny because I come at it from the other angle. I'm like, oh, I know the feeling of 
putting in so much effort and so much work and wanting it to sound a certain way, and then it just doesn't, and you're just totally deflated. So I feel bad for him. I always am like, oh, man, that sucks. Yeah, it's just the differences of personalities. You guys are rooting for perfect Christmas. To me, the more the more mishaps and chaos that happens, the more, I think, relatable the show is under the circumstances. So when that happens, sometimes Bogues will hand off the responsibilities to Pete, and so then Pete has to play them because he knows that he will play them and they will fire from back of the studio. But the issue there is coordination, timing. You know, when you play your own audio, you can jump it. You can jump out of it. You know exactly how to play it. It can just be seamless. So having Pete played is not ideal. So today, Pete is responsible for playing it, and Pete misses playing it as well. So there's a huge hole there. And what did Pete say happened? He didn't actually say what happened. He just said, I missed it. My guess is what happened is Pete, does have a lot going on in the studio. He's the only man running back, and he probably went to say something to Billy Jacalone about pulling audio or something like that, and just for that second he wasn't listening was the second he needed to play something. And now it should be noted, I, I get the film Pete at no point wanted to take responsibility, though. It took you bringing up whose fault was it and throwing the ball in my court. Was it my fault? It was bogus because bogus bad ad said it wasn't his fault. Pete did not want to have to cop to that it was his fault. He was backed into a corner of admitting it was his fault, but we never got the actual details as to why he missed the cut. So then that happens. And then, you know, the granddaddy of them all was my power goes out. So at the end of the 7 o'clock hour, right, this was, yeah, 7 o'clock hour. This is approximately 7.48, let's say, a.m. Eastern time, and I just have one of those blips where it's like power goes out for half a second and then everything comes back on. So if you're like in the kitchen, your microwave just starts blinking, but everything, the lights come right back on. That's what happened. But the way that I'm connected is it's all through the Internet. And so once the Internet goes down for even half a second, all of my stuff has to reboot, specifically my my router. So even though I had power back, I had to wait until the entire router could reboot, which takes probably four minutes or something like that. And then I've got to make sure that the line is clear again so that I'm trying to reconnect through what the audio devices that we use called a Comrex. So I'm like waiting because there's no way to specifically know the exact moment the the router clicks into Wi-Fi again. Everybody knows you you picture those lights blinking. Yeah. Two, three. So I'm like trying to connect them to Comrex. I'm like, oh, God, this is okay because it's in the last segment of the final out of the last segment of of that hour. So I knew you guys could take it. But if you guys had to come back at the top of the hour, then I had to join in the segment. I'm like, this would be really bad. So just so happened today and of all the days as well, my headphones were on the fritz. So I got reconnected and didn't know if I couldn't hear somebody because it was the headphones or because it was the Wi-Fi. It was just a crazy technical day today. So I don't know what's in the air, but for anybody listening on, what is today, Wednesday, May 27th, today is likely to be a day full of technical glitches for you because these these days just kind of come in bunches. Well, the best is the day because obviously you have more important things to do with figuring out with repowering, but so I don't normally, and as bogus to this, always check my phone. It's, you know, maybe once every other break or something like that. My phone's usually in my pocket. I happen to look down at the very second I hear the champ and chump bed bleeding back in. And I saw you had left the Google picture meet and I see your text power out. You need to take this bogus. He's the two. And 
And when I bump it back regular, it's champ chump. So Pete missed it too. So at that point, you got like I just came out of the fly. Like I better come up with a champ quick. I made it Gary Bettman. My chump was your internet. But because of the way you worded it, we didn't know if you know a car had hit a transformer on your block, yeah. and that was the last we were going to hear from you for the rest <laughs> of the show. So we we just did the five minute segment. We gather ourselves. And it wasn't until basically a minute before. I didn't know if we were just going to take the rest of the show. I didn't know it was as simple as it flickered and your Wi-Fi went out. It could have been, we don't hear from DA for the rest of the week. Like, it, there was no middle ground based on the text message. Yeah, that's a good point. I should have really clarified that. I should <laughs> I should not have had you thought that a Transformer it, went out and I was not going to have power for the next month. It was Frank Costanza and Seinfeld calling Jerry. George is dead. Steinbrenn is here. Call me back. <laughs> What a crazy day, which also coincides with Ed, the movie, from Mothership at the Movies, <laughs> which course, is a baseball-playing chimpanzee and Matt LeBlanc. Now, I've got – I like the PGP now the best on Wednesdays because it allows us to deep dive into this thing. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about the time. Let's start here. Was Matt LeBlanc really tan in this movie? Hmm. That he part- seemed really tan. So I'm trying to close my eyes and picture it. That never once registered in my brain at any point during the movie. But, I mean, in theory, you figure they're filming this for at least a month, if not two months. I don't know how long it would take to put the movie together out in the summer of in Oregon. They're obviously doing all outdoor scenes. Not much of this movie was shot indoors. So maybe he got tan as the movie production set went on. Maybe. Also, from a role-taking standpoint, why is Matt LeBlanc, two years into his friend's stardom, <laughs> taking this garbage plot? I mean, ultimately, so, you you like the movie. But yeah. of course it was going to bomb. It is a chimpanzee that plays third base for a baseball team, and it's not a kid's film. It's meant to kind of be, this is a reference that might go over a lot of people's heads, but it's a little bit of a Howard the Duck type film yeah. where... It's an animal, but it's kind of an adult wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, it's an animal, but we're kind of going to be a little adult humor about this. Of course it's going to bomb. Why did he take this role? So you could tell your power was out. Bogus brought this up with about a minute left in that segment of your power outage. That was his biggest question. And my guess would be, I don't know that you know it's going to be bomb. I mean, in the same summer we brought this up. Jason Alexander's another huge sitcom comedian. He's taking a role with a chimpanzee. I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke there, but there had to have been some kind of, you know, feeling like this kind of stuff was going to hit with people. And and I think at the same time, it's probably sold to their ego as well. This comes across Matthew LeBlanc's agent and LeBlanc himself, and they probably sell it to him like, you're at your height now with this show, Friends is Out, People are going to flock to the theaters to see you, and you don't have to rely on Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox. You could be you in this role, and I bet you it's just it's a big inflating of his ego that this is going to be a smash hit because you're in it, not necessarily because the movie stinks. Well, I'm interested to buy this, and if we ever had Matt LeBlanc on the show, my first question would be, why did you take the role in Ed? Because Two seconds later, he hangs up. In retrospect... <laughs> It is known as one of the worst films ever. It is a 0% Rotten Tomatoes rating. It's been named the worst baseball film ever. Whether you agree or disagree, it is widely panned. And in retrospect, 22 years ago, doing a monkey film just seems like way beneath one of the friend stars. Yeah. I wonder why he took the film. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe it's a good paycheck. Maybe it's a, 
a rare solo role that he could take in a movie where he would have had to be an ensemble cast as he was a young actor. Maybe it filmed directly the, the months in between Friends, so he, the rare film that he didn't have to take off time from Friends and allowed to do it. You know, maybe, maybe it was visions of Emilio Estevez and Mighty Ducks who kind of got a real jump start in his career by doing a kid's film, but this is not a yeah. kid's film. That's the that's, thing. That's weird, but it could have been. I mean, I don't know. I watched that never thinking a kid couldn't watch it. So, secondly, there is so much bathroom humor in this. I mean, Ed comes over, the chimpanzee, and it's already a little disconcerting because Ed's head is so big because clearly it's not a real chimpanzee. <laughs> But it's a Clearly, mask. You, you thought it was at the end no, of the No, no, no. I knew it was a person, but I just, my my mind blank there. But it, his head is so oversized because it's a mask on top of a human head. So it's an oversized chimpanzee head coming in to live with Matt LeBlanc. It's a cramped, cramped apartment anyway. And they have to both go to the bathroom at the same time. And they both use the toilet to pee at the same time. And they're basically <laughs> crossing the swords. Yes, they are. And I'm like... This is a little awkward. Then they show Ed's face. He's like, ah, <laughs> and he's nice. like sighing. Okay. <laughs> then he crawls into bed with Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc wants him to sleep on the the sofa. He crawls into bed and rips the biggest fart ever. And it's so big, LeBlanc's eyes open up wide. He's like, ah, and has to kick Ed out of the bed. And then there is there is a scene where Ed uses the toilet to go number two. Yeah. Because drink. he's holding his pants. He has to go so bad. And by the <laughs> way, he's wearing jeans that a shirt is tucked into. So ironically funny. So he has to use the bathroom and runs in there to use the bathroom. I'm like... This is so many bathroom references for a chimpanzee. I, I is that a it. thing? Does everybody know that chimpanzees like are dirty in the bathroom? Well, I when you go this, I can't believe we're going down here. This is a pathway we're going. This is not meant to make fun of the fake safari you said I went to, but I've done the Six Flags Safari, the one down at Disney, and it's well known that when you pass the chimpanzees, like when I was younger, the chimpanzees at the Six Flags one in New Jersey would be free. They'd be jumping on your car, and they would literally just start peeing on your windshield wipers. They would throw poop at your car. They're big on, on bathroom stuff. They had to now eventually fence them in so they would stop doing this. They'd snap off the antennas. They'd rub it on their, you know, their package down there. They're very big on flinging poop and peeing on people. So I think that's a wink and a nod to you You understand. And in the 90s, everybody was going to these safaris. You knew that the chimps were going to go bathroom on your car. You're telling me that chimps <laughs> in your safari came over to your car, peed on it, Threw poop on it, no doubt. broke off the antenna, and rubbed them against their packages. That absolutely happened. <laughs> you could talk to Bob the Deli Man about our trips with Six Flags Safari. It was wild. My sister's screaming in the backseat. I couldn't get enough. I mean, they're, f they're flinging poop at the Geo Prism we made our way down to Jackson, New Jersey. <laughs> so then it, then the movie. Okay, now the movie. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Before we get to the movie part of this, can I just acknowledge one thing involving the chimpanzee that made no sense to me in the movie? Why is it that they make a point of setting Deuce Bigelow, Deuce Cooper here, 
in his farm. He has the dog, like you said, wake him up. He's yeah. saying hello to all the animals. Poor Wilbur gets slaughtered for his hamsteak yeah, he's, breakfast. He's, he lives on a farm, and there is a there is a pig that we think is named Wilbur, and there's a spider named Charlotte, and then he's yeah. like, where's Wilbur? And he right. comes to the breakfast table, and Dad is eating a giant hamsteak. All right, so they... <laughs> they make it pretty known that Matthew LeBlanc has grown up on a farm with animals, yeah. didn't even have time for Little League, yeah. yet he's scared for a monkey <laughs> to be in his car. Shouldn't have anybody in that team be the least scared of animals? Would it not be Deuce Bigelow Cooper here? Shouldn't he be the most used to the animals? How do you make him scared of an animal but grow up around animals? It's a fair point. It's a good question. I also had an enormous problem with Deuce's with, with Deuce's parents. Okay, Deuce's by, parents. By, by the by the way, we're taping this, and I'm looking at the A, and he's basically laid down at this point. So you take a nap while we're on it's the so air. Hot. It's so hot in the studio right now. I had the lights on all day, all morning. I have to do that for the uh, the webcast, oh. and uh, it's so hot in here. So I just got the. It's like 85 degrees. It's so steamy. So I'm just like leaning back, microphone in my hand. I got a real problem with his parents here. Okay, he grows up on this farm. <laughs> he grows up on this farm. He gets signed to a minor league baseball contract, and mom and dad can't come to a game. They're sending him care packages and letters. Come to a freaking game! You're, you you do nothing. You live on a farm. Your son actually accomplished something. And they got to send him care packages. I, Get your ass to the game. He drove to try out. They drove back to the farm. I don't know how long that drive was. Well, that's, so that's they, he didn't drive question. across the country. That's Get your question. ass to the stadium. Go see the Rockets in the championship game. So I agree. This is actually worse than Giselle not going to the AFC title <laughs> game in Kansas City to me. But also, it, it begs the next question. They did a terrible job of explaining this. <laughs> He very clearly, that the morning of the first game, wakes up in his house at the farm, doesn't have Wilbur the hamsteak, gets in the car, and drives to the stadium. With no bags, by the way, packing like he was about to hit the road for the long haul. They make it seem like he's driving an hour or less to the stadium. Yes. How, why did he need an apartment? If it was that, if he could wake up on game day and drive there with no bags, he simply had to come back and get bags, you would think. Why do you need the apartment? Why do you need to move out to begin with? I don't know. And why can't his damn parents get <laughs> their ass in the ballpark right. if Support it's that short of a drive? Support Seriously. You didn't sign him up for Little League. You didn't do this, that, the other thing. And clearly you're excited for him to go because there's that scene where Deuce turns to his parents and goes, how can it not be fun, Ma? I'm playing baseball. And, and you know it's that much. I mean, seemingly your only child. You have to slaughter another pig. Get to a game. <laughs> get to a game. Number two, how does Deuce Cooper have a 125-mile-an-hour rocket yeah. and he's not throwing no-hitters in the Northern Oregon Baseball League? I mean, it defies all logic that he can rear back and find 125 miles an hour. He's also reading the Nolan Ryan Guide to Pitching, okay? How is it possible this guy is giving up monster home yeah. runs and he's not the best pitcher ever to hit the Northern Oregon Baseball League. And he's futzing around with a bad curveball. I mean, come on. So I had texted you guys this last night. This was my biggest gripe with him was the curveball thing, throwing 125. I had this debate with myself in the shower this morning before the show. And that was, do you think that they thought 
that people would question, well, to be a big league pitcher, you need more than one out pitch. And then I said to myself, well, heck no. Mariano Rivera is a Hall of Famer and got by as a closer with just the cutter. If you th- And by the way, this isn't like he throws 97-98 and needs the slider, sinker, curveball. No. He throws 125 miles an hour. Just Not for even- perspective, that's approximately 20 miles an hour faster than any other human has ever thrown a baseball. Right. So in other words, Vlad Guerrero's bat speed at this point, 96, isn't catching up to a heater from Deuce Bigelow, Mail no. Cooper. There's no, no. shot. No so chance. why are you not... Now, you wonder maybe can he keep throwing 125 every single pitch and not tax the arm? I guess maybe. But we still have a chimpanzee playing third base. My guess is you can make it work where he throws 125 every single pitch, and that should be unhittable. I agree there should be no hitters. He shouldn't be futzing around with a curveball. You know when you get time to futz around with a curveball is? When you get with major league pitching coaches and scouts because they've signed you for the 125-mile-an-hour fastball you proved in the Northern Oregon League. Yeah, and you throw the fastball as many times as you need, and then you mix in a curve every so often. But he's basically working like Greg Maddox with all off-speed stuff, yeah. and then sometimes rears back for 125. And and then has the nerve to sit in the locker room in between every cuts and goes, I don't know what I could do different here. Am I going to yeah. make what, – what could you do different? You throw 125 miles an hour, throw it. That's what you could do different. Also, as movie makers, I don't understand the need for two gimmicks here. You already have a chimpanzee playing on this team. <laughs> Why do we need film. Matt LeBlanc throwing 125 as well? Like that's that's a movie to itself. The the farm <laughs> boy that throws 125. You don't need yeah, then I, the chimp too. Right. That's see. That's where I think the 25 was unneeded. If he just threw a hundred, I think we all get it. Like wow, okay, this guy throws a hundred mile an hour fastball. Like that's something we've seen before. He needs to harness other crafts. You're right. Having him be a phenomenon where it's 125 and the and Mickey Mantle's monkey is playing third base, <laughs> there's a lot happening there. Okay, let me also just point this out. Just as an amateur filmmaker myself at the Nomad series, I pay attention. Oh boy, we are really reaching here. On I pay titles. I pay attention to the cinematography and the the shots. There were so many awkward camera angles. Yeah. How many times? was the angle from the dirt and straight up like that one hitter that keeps chewing his tobacco and spitting at it that has oh. the, the number of of uh, of Deuce Bigelow. He, they keep shooting it from up like to make him seem, I guess, really intimidating and really tall. But yeah. then when they do the crowd shots, they do extreme zoom-ins and close-ups of random fans of the stands. And they oftentimes use the sped up pace of film work. Like when they're in the car and uh, Ed is driving them around, it's on sped up, like almost um, what I Benny Hill show. Yes, yes, exactly right. Benny Hill. And then also when the little daughter and Ed mess up the whole apartment because, you know, Deuce is on a date with her mom. And they're making popcorn, pouring out of the microwave, and they're spilling uh, ice cream all over the place. I mean, it's a hellhole. I mean, they have just (laughs) ruined the entire apartment. And then they do the sped-up footage for them cleaning up. And somehow they got the entire apartment cleaned up by the time that Matt LeBlanc and uh, the mom walk in from (laughs) the car. I mean, so basically they clean up the entire apartment within, I don't know, a two-minute span, which is ridiculous. It made it for a very frantic film, and it was awkward, almost as though they were trying to be a B-level film. 
But I think that's kind of the nod to it. I don't think I don't think they film that thinking this is Oscar worthy. I think you're supposed to laugh at the ridiculousness of it. It, it threw me off. It was. It threw you. It just was a lot. It was an in-your-face kind of film. It was like a Mountain Dew commercial from 1996. Yeah, but I think the, the main premise you still have to remind yourself throughout the film is you're focused on how quickly you can clean up strawberry ice cream spit, you know, spilt all over is that a chimpanzee is playing third base and has an arm that can burn the mitt yeah. of a first baseman. I Maybe that's, that's where the focus point. should have been. I guess that is a good point. <sighs> I don't know. This one was a hard. This was a tough watch. This one was a tough watch. I found myself dozing off in the middle of it. I didn't do- doze off. I found it uh, to be, to me, very ironically funny. Maybe because I am a bathroom humor guy. I found it funnier than Ladybugs. I did. And honestly, I was impressed by the amount of baseball that was able to be broken down in this. I mean, we didn't even get into Ed turning an unassisted triple play, which is just one of the That's great plays point. in Major League history. That's a really good point. Uh, they're Somehow just, running on all fours, but he has the ball in his hand. He actually runs down the runner and tags him out. <laughs> but again, I think to me what really sells me, DA, and, and maybe we can wrap on this. So many cheesy sports movie endings. I thought a mile away, Ed is getting out of the hospital. He wakes up. He's ripping off the tubes. By the way, we didn't even focus on this. He's not a veterinary clinic. He's at an actual hospital. <laughs> Which is another part of this that goes unnoticed. We forget he is a chimpanzee. He gets out of the hospital, hypothermia, whatever his case was, hospital gown on, and doesn't have the cheesy movie ending of here's the uniform, here's Ed to save the day, he's coming in to play third base and they're going to win the championship. He just sits in the crowd because he's too banged up to play. (laughs) I never saw that ending coming, and I I appreciated a movie that had Mickey Mantle's chimpanzee playing third base and a movie where a guy is throwing 125 miles an hour, a movie where a chimpanzee could drive a car. They Yet they managed to not go cheesy with the ending and give you a realistic ending. No, he's on the injured list. He cannot play in the game. He's too frozen to play. He's going to come there, sit and watch, and he'll be there for moral support, but he didn't come in and draw the big walk, turn the big triple play. The realism of the ending, to me, is why this movie getting a 0% of Rotten Tomatoes is a disgrace. It's an underappreciated movie. And if I was them, they're down 20 mil. Re-roll it out. Let's go. Re-rack it. Pump it back out there. Let's get it out. I I do want to address a couple of things here. Number one, the Santa Rosa Rockets are clearly not a real baseball team. No Major League Baseball team would ever associate themselves with this movie. It was a farce. It's a joke. It's one of the worst films ever. How how did they get clearance for a real Yankees hat to be on Ed? Well, I mean, my guess is they already used Mickey Mantle's name. The Yankees <laughs> probably wouldn't sign off on the standard new era blank cap. So they did like it's the definitely white... not the dark navy no. with the white and Y interlocking. Instead, it's like the nineteen nineteen New right. York Yankees, which is a white top, blue pinch or dark, right. dark blue pinstripes. It almost mimics the actual look of the jersey. I remember that hat because that was the hat that the guys would sell for five bucks in the parking garage when you pulled up to the stadium. So, okay. Uh, my, I, if I had to guess, maybe the Yankees don't even own licensing rights to that hat. <laughs> they did it the same way. They got it in the parking garage, and that's how they got away with it. Okay, um, that would actually make sense. That was not an actual Yankee hat used in like the Babe Ruth era. It was a knockoff hat made because it looked kind of like it would be a Yankees hat, but it's not official. Right. It just represents New York. And also on that point, we didn't get an explanation on this. 
I, I'm sorry. I said just go through my notes. I know <laughs> you're ripping off here. How does the bus driver know the chimpanzee is a baseball player when Matthew LeBlanc pulls up? And he says, I'm here to pick up a baseball player. And he goes, back there. And then there's Ed, who's seemingly full of energy the whole movie, is passed out in the back seat. <laughs> and Deuce has to wake him up. And the bus driver knows the whole ride that this yeah. is a, a baseball player? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. he knows the entire ride is going to be a, a funny gag. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I got your baseball player. I picked him up from the real estate sale, the estate sale at Mickey Mantle's house. So, also, we should try to get the director on. There's so many questions about this. Also, I didn't understand this. So, we talked about this on the air. It it makes no sense that the owner of the Santa Rosa Rockets purchases Ed in an estate sale from the Mickey Mantle house. Because he's like, this is going to put butts in the seats. This is going to be our mascot. Then it's all about putting him on the field because, again, it sells tickets. He ends up becoming a crucial part of the winning streak. They end up going to the championship game with a monkey in the middle of the lineup and playing the hot corner. And yet, on the eve of the championship game, the owners decide to sell Ed. We don't know why. We don't know if it's to make money. We don't know if it's because they're trying to sandbag their own chances. We don't know if the opposing team that's playing in that game is the one that bought it. We have no idea why he sold and who bought it. We just find out that he's kind of being tortured a little bit. We see through a, a pantomime of a shadow that he's being electrocuted by two weird goons that stole him. He's also dressed in a clown outfit in a cage. We don't know why he's in a clown outfit. So Matthew LeBlanc, Deuce Cooper, ends up saving him and getting him in the back of this truck. Now, he drives him back to the stadium, but in doing so, he has left him in the back of a refrigerated truck so long that Ed becomes frozen and he's he's hurt. I mean, he's he's yeah. at he's he has hypothermia. We don't know if he's going to make it. He has to go, as you said, to the hospital, the human hospital to recuperate. Why doesn't he ride up front with with Deuce Cooper in the cabin? And why does Deuce Cooper not realize on an elongated drive, however long that was, He's got a monkey in a refrigerated car that could end up, end up getting hypothermia. This is such a weird so, twist. This part of the movie didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> so I'm going to try to rationalize the best I can. The thing here is that Deuce Cooper has actually literally stolen Ed. Like that other ownership and team paid for Ed. That is their yeah. property. He's still a chimpanzee. <laughs> He's still technically, I guess, his property. So, a sheriff, in theory, if they saw Ed, if the cops were called rotting shotgun with Deuce Cooper, could easily pull him over. So it was a way to hide Ed to make sure the authorities weren't onto him. But yet, somehow, the authorities don't get wind of Ed ending up at a regular hospital and returning him back. Because remember, he's still owned now by that other team. Yeah. He can't just walk into the ballpark and act like he's not property of the other team. So I would say yes. Um, in a movie where the chimpanzee plays third base and the man throws 125 miles an hour, there yet happened to be one very unrealistic plot hole line. There was a, just a lot of questions here about the release of Ed. And if I'm the script writers, I make the guys who stole him hurt him enough to where he can't play baseball. I don't have him Aww. fine in the cage and then get hypothermia because Deuce Cooper has a brain fart and keeps him in the back of a refrigerated car for an hour. But it came back to Deuce Cooper's lack of thinking. But 
Look, I would say this. They came up with the idea. This would be my guess. And you report right when we should have the director on. Chimpanzees are in. Okay, well, the chimpanzee plays sports. Well, what sports is he going to play? He's going to play baseball. Okay, he's going to play third base. Yeah. He can steal bases. He doesn't have a strike zone. We'll get with that. Then they said, okay, we need a big actor in here to play with the chimpanzee. Okay, we'll get the guy from Friends. I think they organized all of that and said, okay, now let's write a script. And as it went on, then they needed to create some reason, some kind of point where, you know, this was going to happen. I think they ran out of ideas and making sense. They, they, they organized the movie the wrong way. You need to come up with that script, plot line, and everything first, and then go over everything else. Mm. That's probably true. I, I just want to bring up one other point. You say that We've done this like I said that times. there was no, there's no other people in this film that I have recognized, so the budget could not have been that much, even though it was $24 million. I don't know how they got there. They must have paid Matt LeBlanc $17 million of those dollars. You said, no, I've seen the manager and the bench coach before. They're, they're good actors. They're famous actors. They're definitely not famous actors because we don't know their names nor the movies they've been in. So I've looked it up. Okay. So the manager of the, uh, the, manager of the Rockets is an actor by the name of Jack Warden. Okay. Okay. And he passed away in 2006. He played, um, what's his name? Stubbs? Yeah. Does he play with his? Yeah, Chubb. 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 Stubbs. <laughs> This is the movies he's known for. 12 Angry Men back in 1957. I didn't see that. While You Were Sleeping, Bullets Over Broadway, Heaven Can Wait. I didn't see any of those films. Apparently, he was also in Chairman of the Board, Bullworth, and Dirty Work. And I believe Chairman of the Board is a Pauly Shore film. Yes. Bullworth is the Warren Beatty film. And Dirty Work is the Norm Macdonald film. I've so, seen him at Dirty Work. That's where I remember him from. Okay. He wasn't in any television shows? He wasn't in what? Any shows? Uh, it doesn't say. I'm looking at his IMDb. Not that oh, I've has, noticed. I guess it has to be Dirty Work that I knew him from, unless I just remember him from Ed 20 years ago. <laughs> I can't even find the bench coach on the IMDb page. That's how minuscule a role it was for him. Oh, he's been in the movie. He's been in other movies. I'm telling you, he's a megastar. That's what I would think. A megastar I don't know about. Oh, you know who else? Okay, I take it back. You know who else or what other movies Chubb has been in, the the manager? He was in the Problem Child movies. Oh, okay. Hey, that's, that's big. This, this cost him at least three. I don't remember him in Problem Child 1 or 2. I barely remember that movie itself. Wasn't that when John Ritter was the dad? And the yes, kid is I believe so. I, that's a good movie to go back and watch. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I bet you, though, the bench coach has been in other movies, if not some Law & Order episodes or something. He definitely looked very, very memorable, but I don't know. What was his name in this movie? <laughs> was he Stubbs? No, no, he was not Chubb. I mean, I'm looking at a guy by the name of Tipton, but that's a white guy, so it couldn't be. It's funny because I just Googled bench coach and Ed, and the first thing comes up is all Ed Orgeron. Like, the, <laughs> the movie doesn't even register on Google. Okay, it was Bill Cobbs, Tipton. Okay. Okay. So, Tipton, okay, Bill Cobbs has a decent IMDb here. He was in Demolition Man, which starred Stallone and Wesley Snipes. Okay. He was in That Thing You Do. That was the. Uh, 
that. I bet you this is one of Pete the Body's favorite he movies He loves ever. that. He t- talks about that thing you do all the time, Pete. Yeah, does. that's the Tom Hanks. He was like the manager of like the Beatles wannabes. Yes. Um, but again, this guy, and he's he's been working recently, which is good. He was in <laughs> Call Me <laughs> King, Beyond the Silence, New Life, The Great Gilly Hopkins. Oh, he was at Night of the Museum, Secret of the Tomb. He was Reginald. I don't know what that is, but... Mm. I definitely recognize him from Night at the Museum. Oh, and he was the grandfather in the Muppets in 2011. Okay. So that's a big – that cost him – I bet you that's another $6 million paid him to be the bench coach. Oh, I don't think he makes $6 million on that one. No, I don't think no, the, be the bench coach? Muppets, Muppets make $6 million, no. Are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty that's sure. That's a big role for him. He was, <laughs> he was in Squirrel Man. Oh, yeah, the great Squirrel Man. Oh, and he's Uncle Charles in a Rugrats, D.A.? The, the voice? Yes. Okay, but we wouldn't know what he looks like based on Oh, no, but he's had major roles. <laughs> so we just spent 38 minutes talking mostly about Ed. Oh, and my wait, guess wait, is wait, you wait, could do another 38 with Bogus here next. Wait, wait, wait. Just one more thing. He yeah. was in Air Bud. Wow. He wow. was in Air Bud, so you that know, means he, he was in that. He's kind of like a De Niro then in all of the Scorsese films. Yes. You had an animal movie in the 90s. You called up Tipton or Bill Cobbs. Bill Cobbs. You yes. had to have Bill Cobbs. If you don't have Bill Cobbs on your on your set, that, that animal movie is going nowhere. No credibility <laughs> whatsoever. All right. Well, that is side A. Uh, well, how do we top Ed? I don't know, but we're going to try next week. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to side B because I feel like Bogish has a lot of pointed yeah. commentary about Ed. We will get his thoughts next. All right, welcome into Side B of the PGP. This is Mraz, host of Side B, and he's executive producer, the executive producer of the DA Show, joined by my DA Show Copan Andre, Andrew Bogish. Bogish, hello, how are you? I'm well, although I have no idea what you just called me because I don't think that's a word in English or Spanish. But that was uh, whatever John here, as always. John Sterling calls Susan Waldman that, so that's what I was going with. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, DA and I just did a very long-form breakdown of the movie Ed, Andrew, and uh, we got into a lot there. But as always with you, you know, we do a lot of the sports breakdown of it on the show. What I really like what you bring to the table every week when we get to do this on the PGP is the the actual movie critique of this. And I'm going to ask you the same question I like to ask you every week. I want to know the thing you liked the most about Ed the movie and the thing that just you couldn't get over the worst part about this from a movie viewer standpoint. Yeah, you know, I think so two things played in Ed's favor here. One, um, I was just so bothered by Ladybugs. And I thought going in that was going to hurt me, but in fact it ended up being a plus because anything would have been better than Ladybugs, and Ed certainly was better than Ladybugs. Um, But I also think that because the idea was just so bonkers, it helped me, like, forget about reality. Like, the idea of a chimp playing third base on any level of baseball is an impossibility, right? So, like, if I'm accepting that, then everything else falls into place just fine behind that. So that's that's a good I mean, rule of thumb. Yeah, I mean the whole I mean the whole thing is makes no sense. I mean I, I guess that there's, you know, as I said in the air, there's no rules for requiring only homo sapiens to play baseball. 
but there should have been rules about a random anybody just coming off the bench and being put in the game that's not in uniform, not on the roster, not cleared in any way. So, like, there are things like that. It was cheesy, the 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 montage of them driving home, the monkey driving home from the bar with passed out Deuce next to him. I mean, was just was just dumb. A lot of the jokes were dumb, but it did not bother me in the way that Ladybugs and Mighty Ducks 2 did in terms of being like so disrespectful to reality because the idea from the beginning was insanity. So I just ran with it. Okay. All right. That's fair. So then I guess you you didn't dislike anything. No, you know what? I, I, I really, I, I, I ended up enjoying doesn't sound like the right word because I'll never watch it again, nor like recommend it to anyone. I, I think but that's like, fair. but I was, I was angry as mighty ducks two was ending and ladybugs from the beginning was a chore. I didn't think it was funny at all. Um, I just thought it was, it was ridiculous. This was a, for some reason, a different ridiculous and didn't drive me nuts. So yeah, I mean, it still deserves probably the zero it got on Rotten Tomatoes, but it that. was not 90 minutes of hell like Ladybugs was. All right, so I'm curious whether you agree with me on this. And I made this point on the show, and I've made this point on side A, and I guess I really just want to push this point forward about Ed as it got that zero on Rotten Tomatoes, and I guess I'm going to wave the flag for Ed here. I absolutely loved the ending, and so, so many times the sports movies could be so overly cheesy where – you know, like, if there's that point of climax where now whatever has happened with a villain, somebody's coming in to save the day. I thought this, and I'm sure, um, my guess is you thought this too. Ed gets out of that hospital, and sure enough, didn't that cross your mind, like, tell me Ed is now going to get this uniform on, and he's going to go win this game in the late innings for the Rockets. And all he does is show up at the hospital again, show for moral support in the crowd. And I sat there at the edge of my seat and said, wow, the directors had something here. They took it in the direction it should go in reality and didn't take it in the feel-good, here's-a-nice-sports-movie-ending direction. And I think because of that, uh, so many times we were questioning how many of these movies, like D2, the endings and everything, the ending yeah. to Ed might be the most perfect ending we have had to date with any of these sports movies. And, and I've got to be honest, it, it completely went over my head. Like in the moment watching it, I didn't go, oh, thank God they didn't make him play again because... Again, he was a chimp playing third base from the beginning, so it was all craziness. But it didn't. I, I was expecting to get like Lou Brown in the hospital, listening to the to the Indians in the earpiece and screaming, and the nurse coming in and calming him down. Like that's what I was expecting to get from the end. Um, but yeah, the fact that you and Da mentioned it is a was a very smart decision to somehow maybe the only time in the movie they did it, like to slow down the cheese effect and just let him show up in his hospital gown with his butt hanging out and sit there and watch the game. And, you know, it was cheesy. Then I guess when the manager, when Chubb gave the ball back to Deuce and you can finish this and he throws the one actual good curveball of his life. But it would have been worse had Ed come back in and made like a diving play at third base to end the game. That that could have been too much. Exactly. Now, the other thing to me that didn't make any sense, I'm curious to get your opinion on this, it's very clear that Ed has become a national phenomenon in this league, mm. as as we had said. I mean, he's on the cover of all these magazines. And now we get to the point where it's a championship game, and it's been a couple days, seemingly, since Ed has been sold to, as you would point out, another organization within this league. My guess would be this is major national news that Ed, the cover of all these magazines, has now been sold to another team. 
yet word doesn't get to Tommy Lasorda and the real owner of the team until they're already at the ballpark for the championship game that Ed has been sold and they hear rumors of it in the crowd. What? Yeah, and even, Sean, just in general, I mean, if if we take this as actually, like, happening in society, like, if this was really a thing, like, it would right. be mayhem from day one, long before we got to the championship game. But it's, I guess from the ownership standpoint, I mean, again, this is the common theme in all of these movies. The easiest thing to do, apparently, for movie makers is make a dumb, greedy whatever owner and make him be kind of you know the driving force in these movies so you have the two knucklehead sons the one bald got the terrible toupee like doing all of this getting the monkey selling the monkey and then their dad walks in with the sword and goes i hear a rumor that the monkey's gone where's the monkey so it is just again um there's willful stupidity to not really do any kind of deep thinking on these plot lines. Um, but yeah, there should have been, like, that game should have been moved to whatever the biggest stadium nearby was. It wow. should have been in prime time. There should have been whoever was the big, 90, you know, 96, whoever that, like, the lead ESPN baseball team was then should have been there doing that game because it would have been a chimp playing third base for a baseball championship, and it should have been the number one story in America, no doubt. I agree with that, and I think and maybe we can end on this point with Ed. To me, again, another thing that made no sense is the whole gimmick there, selling tickets, at no point, even during the peak of, you know, Lynn's sanity, Ed's sanity, <laughs> was the crowd, and maybe this is budgetary concerns, there were so many open bleachers and open seats that, like, yeah. you can't tell me that Ed did the trick in selling tickets. Wouldn't you think in a summer where a chimpanzee's playing third base, and you got a chance, and you're you know you're traveling out to the West Coast. Wouldn't people be trying to flock to get into these games? I mean, this is something we had never seen before, and yet it's the same basically 160 season ticket holders we've seen all movie with the same empty seats next to them. Yeah, it's um again, this is I guess where I where I normally would be angry, right? And then I'm not because it was craziness. But like I keep going back to the fact, the idea of like if you want me to believe that because baseball's done a lot of stupid stuff on every level to get people into stadiums, right? I mean, there's a long history of gimmicky stuff, promotional nights, whatever. So, like, here's a a chimp, not just as, like, the mascot or, like, the bat boy, which would have gotten people to show up and watch him go retrieve bats. I mean, there's dogs doing it right now in the minor leagues, and and it's a draw. But this is a chimp playing the game and playing it well. Yes. And it somehow was not garnering the attention of, of America. And... Like science, like where where was like you know where was the zoo people showing up and going? How did you tra- how did Mickey Mantle train this monkey right. to play? He doesn't have a thumb. How's his glove working? Like there's all these things that like should have been maybe going on there but weren't in this tiny little corner of the world. So like you want me to believe Ed's real, but then you didn't necessarily like do the real reaction to a chimp starring in a baseball team in a baseball game. It's unbelievable. We we just hammer out all those plot holes, and yet, Bogus, there was something about this movie that me and you both walked away and said, you know what? Not bad. Not bad at all. No, it, it was not bad. And maybe watching with my kids who then, you know, were laughing at the fart jokes and stuff, and, you know, maybe that helped, like, the experience. It wasn't just me stewing on my couch. Um, right. But, yeah, and I, I think, at least in my book, Ed deserves, needs to thank Ladybugs for setting the table and putting the bar so low that Ed was able to sneak across right. the top of it and actually give me a decent 90 minutes last night. 
Unbelievable. Well, Bogus, I'm going to let you get back to doing what you got to do. Another PGP, another mothership at the movies and the books. What will next week bring? We have no freaking idea. You can follow Andrew Bogus on Twitter. At Andrew Bogish. And follow me on Twitter, at MirazCBS. Hopefully next week, folks, Bogish figures out how to play audio in his updates. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.